Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for April, May and June 2013. Titled, Seek the Lord and Live, Major Lessons from Minor Prophets, it's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 12 for June 15 to 21, Heaven's Best Gift, The Book of Zechariah, Part 2. Sabbath afternoon, June 15. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're delving again into the book of Zechariah, and in this book we see Jesus. We see your love exemplified. We also see the Old Testament prophetic promises about Jesus, the one who did all this for us, providing salvation. And as we open your word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 16. The Lord their God will save them on that day as the flock of his people. They will sparkle in his hands like jewels in a crown. Let's read that again. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 16. The Lord their God will save them on that day as the flock of his people. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. And the key thought for this week is, Zechariah has some wonderful messianic prophecies that point to Jesus and affirm our faith in him. At the heart of the biblical message lies the most beautiful story ever told, that of the Creator God who, in the person of his Son, left the glory of heaven to save humanity from sin and death. In the second half of Zechariah, there are several messianic prophecies, Old Testament prophetic promises about Jesus, the one who did all this for us. These specific promises first were given to God's people who lived in Zechariah's perilous times in order to keep them focused on the promise of redemption. Although the original context of these prophecies never should be ignored, their importance never should be confined to the past fulfilments either. Instead, we will look at the ways in which they were fulfilled in Jesus, fulfilments that are universal, not local, because they affect the ultimate destiny of the world and not just ancient Israel and Judah. Sunday, June 16, The Robe of a Jew Beginning with chapter 8, the book of Zechariah takes a radical turn. A series of messages sent from the Lord tells the future of the world and the role of God's people in it. Some of the passages from these chapters are not easy to understand, but the ultimate future is clearly positive. Question. Read Zechariah chapter 8. What principles can you learn from there that have relevance for us as Seventh-day Adventists and for the calling from God that we have been given? Beginning at verse 1 of Zechariah chapter 8, again the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. With great fervor I am zealous for her. 
Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvellous in the eyes of the remnant of these people in these days, will it also be marvellous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God, in truth and righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, who spoke in the day of the foundation was laid, for the house of the Lord of hosts, that the temple might be built. For before these days there were no wages for man, nor any hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in. For I set all men everywhere against his neighbour. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. And it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah, and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent, so again in these days I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbour. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbour, and do not love a false oath, for all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord, and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. 
God's plan was that Jerusalem would again be a safe place in which old people would sit in streets filled with playful boys and girls. Zechariah 8 verses 4 and 5 To those who inhabited a city overrun by conquerors, the promise of streets that were safe for young and old sounded like a dream. Instead of remaining forever a small, subordinate nation, God's people were to be a magnet to which nations would be drawn in order to worship the Lord, King of the whole earth. That's verse 9 in chapter 14. The use of the expression all languages in verse 23 indicates that the prophecy envisioned a universal movement. Like Isaiah chapter 2 and Isaiah's contemporary Micah, And in chapter 4 of Micah, Zechariah was shown by God that the day would come when a multitude of people from many cities and nations would go up to Jerusalem to pray and seek the Lord. God's presence in Zion generally will be recognized as will his blessings on those who worship him. The Gospel accounts tell that these messianic promises began to be fulfilled through the ministry of Jesus Christ. On one occasion, for example, Jesus said that when he is lifted up from the earth, he will draw all peoples to himself. John 12.32 The Church of Christ, also called the Israel of God in Galatians 6.16, is privileged in our time to have a part in this mission. We are to carry the light of salvation to the ends of the earth. In this way, the people of God can be a great blessing to the world. So, to finish today, read especially Zechariah 8 verses 16 and 17. At a time when our church is seeking revival and reformation, how can we learn to avoid these things which God says he hates? These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbour. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbour, and do not love a false oath. For all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. Monday, June 17, The King of Peace Question. Read Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. How does the New Testament apply this to Jesus? And we'll check in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. First of all, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let's look at the other texts, which we'll start with the one in Matthew, chapter 21, and verse 9. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And then in Mark chapter 11, verse 9, Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! 
Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Luke chapter 19 and verse 38, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then John chapter 12 and verse 13 to 15 took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Jesus' triumphal entry consisted of the future king riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. In the Bible, rejoicing and shouting for joy especially is associated with the celebration of God as king. And we can see that in Psalm 47, Psalm 96 and Psalm 98. This gentle ruler will bring righteousness, salvation and lasting peace and his dominion will stretch to the ends of the earth. When Jesus triumphantly rode a donkey into Jerusalem only days before his death, a great number of people cheered his coming. Some rejoiced, hoping that Christ would overthrow Rome's power and establish God's kingdom in Jerusalem. But, instead of allowing himself to be Israel's king, Jesus died on the cross and then rose from his grave. There is no question that he disappointed many of his followers, those who sought a more militaristic leader. Little did they know, however, that what they wanted was nothing in comparison to what they were going to get through the death of Jesus instead. Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, page 570, Christ was following the Jewish custom for a royal entry. The animal on which he rode was that ridden by the kings of Israel, and prophecy had foretold that thus the Messiah would come to his kingdom. No sooner was he seated upon the colt than a loud shout of triumph rent the air. The multitude hailed him as Messiah, their king. Jesus now accepted the homage which he had never before permitted, and the disciples received this as proof that their glad hopes were to be realized by seeing him established on the throne. The multitude were convinced that the hour of their emancipation was at hand. To finish today, much has been written about how, when things looked good, the crowd was enthusiastic about Jesus. When things did not go right, however, many of that same crowd turned away from him, some even openly against him. What can we learn from this event about the danger of false expectations? You claim a promise for healing, for instance, or for victory over a sin, and you do not see it as you expected. How can we develop a faith that will not fail, even when things do not go as hoped, expected, or even prayed for.
Tuesday, June 18, The One Pierced. Zechariah chapters 12 to 14 reveal several things that could have happened had Israel been faithful to God. First, the Lord would have brought total victory over the powers of evil and the hostile nations that had tried to oppose his plan of salvation, particularly in chapter 12 verses 1 to 9. Although Jerusalem was to be God's instrument toward this triumph, the victory itself would have come from the Lord's intervention. In the end, the enemy utterly would have been defeated and destroyed. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 marks the transition of the movement from physical deliverance, from what would have happened had Israel been faithful, to spiritual deliverance of God's faithful people. Following the victory, God's people would embrace their Lord, God's spirit of grace and supplication would be poured on the leaders and the people. This convicting work of the Spirit would result in far-reaching repentance and spiritual revival, something that our church itself is seeking. As God pours out His Spirit, His people look upon the one whom they have pierced and mourn for Him as one mourns the death of an only son. The original Hebrew word for pierced always describes some type of physical violence, usually resulting in death. Uh, We can check that in Numbers chapter 25 and verse 8. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And also in 1 Samuel chapter 31 and verse 4. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. The poignancy of the people's grief is heightened by the realization that their own sins caused Jesus Christ's death. Question. Read Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. How did the Apostle John connect this passage with Christ's crucifixion at his second coming? Well, first of all, let's read the verse, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for me as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. We'll compare that with John chapter 19 and verse 37. And uh, that reads, And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. And then that familiar verse in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Interestingly enough, one traditional Jewish interpretation holds that this voice points to the experience of the Messiah. It is, of course, right. It is talking about Jesus and his death on the cross. And that's just so well exemplified in the book of Isaiah chapter 53. 
Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And so to finish today, from Testimonies for the Church. Volume 2, page 213. The scenes of Calvary call for the deepest emotion. Upon this subject you will be excusable if you manifest enthusiasm. That Christ, so excellent, so innocent, should suffer such a painful death, bearing the weight of the sins of the world, our thoughts and imaginations can never fully comprehend. How can you grow in your appreciation of what his death means to you and what it offers to you? Wednesday, June 19, The Good Shepherd for centuries, both Jewish and Christian readers of the Bible have found in Zechariah's book numerous references to the Messiah and Messianic times. Christians, of course, have understood that these passages apply to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, the triumphant yet peaceful King, as described in Zechariah 9.9, the one who was pierced in Zechariah 12.10, the shepherd who was struck down in Zechariah 13.7. In Zechariah 13, verses 7 to 9, the prophet is shown a scene in which the sword of the Lord's judgment goes out against the good shepherd. 
Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire." will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, This is my people. And each one will say, The Lord is my God. On a previous occasion, the prophet saw the sword being raised against a worthless shepherd in Zechariah 11.17. But here in this passage, the good shepherd is struck, and the flock becomes scattered. His death results in a great trial and testing of God's people, during which some perish, yet all of the faithful are refined. Question. Read Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31, and Mark chapter 14.27. How did Jesus apply this prophecy to that which was going to happen that night? More important, what should that whole incident, that of the disciples fleeing in the face of adversity, as we see in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, teach us about the faithfulness of God in contrast to human unfaithfulness? Chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And we read about that in verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And the other verse to look at is Mark chapter 14, Verse 27, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And verse 50 in the same chapter reads, Then they all forsook him and fled. The image of God as a shepherd is found in many places in the Bible. It begins with the book of Genesis in chapter 48, And verse 15, which reads, And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life, long to this day. And ends with Revelation chapter 7 and verse 17, which reads, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Through Ezekiel, God rebuked the irresponsible shepherds of his people and promised to search for the lost sheep and take care of them. Applying these words to himself, Jesus declared that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep in John chapter 10 verse 11. To finish the day, Think of times in which you have been unfaithful to the Lord. Despite that, how does he continue to show you mercy and grace? What must your response be to that mercy and grace?
Thursday, June 20, King of the Whole World. Question. Read Zechariah chapter 14. How are we to understand that which is being said here? Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which face Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee, as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light, the lights will diminish. It shall be one day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But... At evening time it shall happen that it will be light, and in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and that day it shall be, the Lord is one, and his name one. All the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's winepresses. The people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction." But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited, and this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet, their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. On that day men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another, and they will attack each other. Judah, too, will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected. Great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and mules, the camels and donkeys, and all the animals in those camps. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. On that day, holy to the Lord, will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty, and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. 
and on that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. In the last chapter of his book, Zechariah describes a day when all unrepentant nations will gather themselves against Jerusalem. At the last moment, the Lord will intervene by liberating his people and establishing his eternal kingdom on earth. After all who oppose him are destroyed, all nations will worship the one true God. The Lord will be king over the whole world. He will be one Lord, and his name will be exalted above all names. The great I Am expresses all God is and always will be. Though these things were to have happened had Israel remained faithful, they still will be fulfilled, but on a grander scale, during the final redemption of God's people everywhere. When Zechariah announced the coming of the Messiah, he did not draw a line of separation between his first and second comings. As was the case with other prophets, he saw the coming kingdom of the Messiah as one glorious future. Only in the light of Christ's first coming can we now distinguish between the two comings. We also can feel gratitude for everything he accomplished for our salvation on Calvary. We can look forward with joy in anticipation of God's eternal kingdom, as expressed in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14, which reads... He has given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The closing section of this prophetic book describes Jerusalem in its glory, exalted, filled with people, and secure. The saved from all nations will participate in the worship of the Eternal King. The entire city of Jerusalem will be filled with the holiness of the temple. When these glorious promises are studied together with the overall teaching of the Bible, we come to the conclusion that the ultimate fulfillment of these predictions will take place in the New Jerusalem, where God's people will come together from everywhere and worship Him forever. This all will happen only after the second coming of Jesus. The themes of the people's perpetual praises will be God's salvation, as well as his goodness and power, just as the famous song of the sea concludes, The Lord shall reign forever and ever, in Exodus 15 verse 18. Ancient prophets and faithful people from the past all looked with eager anticipation toward this climactic event. So, to finish today, dwell on the ultimate redemption that is promised to us, a new heaven and a new earth with no sin, death, suffering or loss. What are all the reasons you have for this hope? And how can you keep them before you daily, especially in times of trouble, fear and pain? Friday, June 21. From the book Prophets and Kings, pages 722, 732 and 733, 
we read, In the darkest days of her long conflict with evil, the Church of God has been given revelations of the eternal purpose of Jehovah. His people have been permitted to look beyond the trials of the present to the triumphs of the future, when, the warfare having been accomplished, the redeemed will enter into possession of the promised land. These visions of future glory, scenes pictured by the hand of God, should be dear to His church today, when the controversy of the ages is rapidly closing and the promised blessings are soon to be realized in all their fullness. The nations of the saved will know no other law than the law of heaven. All will be a happy united family, clothed with the garments of praise and thanksgiving. Over the scene, the morning stars will sing together, and the sons of God will shout for joy, while God and Christ will unite in proclaiming, There shall be no more sin, neither shall there be any more death. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. Number one, however much humans have strived to make things better in our world, the world continues to get worse. According to the Bible, only when Christ returns and remakes this world will it be the paradise that we so long for. Though we know this truth, why are we still called to bring as much comfort, healing and solace to this world as we possibly can? 2. Thursday's study pointed out the important fact that many Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Jesus talk about it in ways that seem to refer to one event, not two. What does that tell us about how closely related the first and second comings are in terms of the plan of salvation? Why is that so? Why is it that without the first coming there could be no second, and why, without the second coming, would the first be of no avail? And number three, as we seek for revival and reformation among us, what can we learn from the study of Zechariah that can help us, both individually and as a church, to be prepared for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is vital to the revival and reformation we so earnestly need? That brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled, Facing the Challenge. Sandy and Yoland love working as global mission pioneers in the western highlands of Madagascar. The couple learn their new dialect while working in the fields with the villagers among whom they live. Sandy helped the people plant and harvest their crops, and Yoland braided the women's hair. Then the couple invited their new friends to learn about Christ. They started a literacy centre to teach the villagers to read and write better. Yoland now teaches the younger children and youth, while Sandy teaches the adults. They hope that soon the people will be able to read the Bible for themselves. They include worship as part of their literacy program, and the villagers found great interest in getting to know Jesus. Recently, Sandy and Yoland held evangelistic meetings in a village known for its rough gangs. One night they were startled to see a group of gang members who were carrying guns enter the meeting. 
Sandy knew that the gang would make trouble if they felt that he was imposing on their territory. Haja, the gang leader, was tough, and it was obvious that the other gang members respected him. But Sandy and Yolande weren't afraid. I talked to Haja and asked him to make sure his gang members were there every night, Sandy said. And Hadja and his twenty gang members did come to the meetings every night. In fact, Hadja was one of the thirty-one people who was baptised at the end of the meetings. He's no longer the gang leader. Instead, he's preparing to become a Sabbath school leader. He's still influential among his gang friends and encourages them to come to church. Sandy and Yolande face many challenges in their work. Dirty water often makes the people sick. Many of the villagers want nothing to do with Christianity. Some believe in witchcraft and fear a woman who is the local witch doctor. Alcohol use is prevalent. But this global mission couple isn't discouraged. We love the people God has sent us to minister to, said Sandy. We praise him for the 60 people who have joined God's family and the two churches we've been able to start here. But there's much more to be done. Please pray that we can overcome these difficulties to bring God's word to the people here. Your mission offerings help support the work of Global Mission in Madagascar and around the world. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.